going through the book of Revelation, for the last few months, we started right before the holiday Christmas season. We've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches over the last couple months. And then in the last couple weeks, Pastor Todd began us in this new scene, if you will, uh, this new look uh, in chapters four and chapter, and what we'll, we'll be getting into is chapter five here today of the book of Revelation. And the storyline now continues into Revelation chapter five. But however, before we jump into chapter five, I believe it's good for us to see the bigger picture, to truly appreciate chapter five and understand chapter five. I think it would be very good to look prior to what is happening in chapter five to pick up on some key ideas, key themes, key things to then get us to appreciate and understand chapter five even better. So if you would, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 5. Yes, the joke worked. We will not be doing that, no. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, actually we're going to start in chapter 2. We'll start in chapter 2. And then a little bit in Genesis 3 as well, and then we'll progress forward. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, and then 15 through 17. And this is what the reason we're doing this is to lay a groundwork, to lay a foundation, because I, I mean it. I don't think we appreciate chapter 5 of Revelation and understand it fully until we look back into Genesis. And then we're gonna look into Romans just real quick, and then we'll get into Revelation. So let's look at Genesis chapter two, verses four through nine, then 15 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now let's move over to Genesis 3, starting in verse 8. And they, that's Adam and Eve, 
heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles I shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Let's now look at Romans. Real quickly, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 24, and then we'll get into Revelation. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this moves us forward to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. The creation, pardon me, moving forward into Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. After this, I, that's John, looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Heavenly Father, please bless the reading and the understanding of your word presented here today. Amen. What we've just read out of God's word, Revelation 4 and 5, is a part of a much bigger story. A part of a much bigger story. Who doesn't like a good story? I mean, who doesn't like a good story? Most humanity loves stories. We use storytelling to convey ideas, thoughts, numbers, um, feelings often. We use stories. It's been said uh, by some in our congregation, as well as others even outside of this building, that storytelling is what impacts the world. A great author, Mark Twain, once said, I like a good story well told. That is the reason I am often forced to tell them myself. Since the earliest recordings of mankind, man has communicated through stories. It is through stories that one may influence a society or culture. You may have heard of this saying before. Those who tell stories rule the world. Those who tell stories rule the world. Others have said, give me a society's art, give me their music, 
give me their movies, give me their stories, and I will influence their culture. And then one you've probably heard of before is the pen is mightier than the sword. There's some truth to that. The pen can be mightier than the sword. What does that mean? That means stories are ways that we help remember things. We help compartmentalize things. As I was studying in preparation for uh, the sermon here today, I came across something that I never even heard of before when it comes to good storytelling. Good storytelling, uh, good authors as well as good filmmakers use this thing called the set piece. The set piece. Books and films often have that one scene or maybe a few scenes that people can't stop talking about. It's so funny, it's so scary, or it's so action-packed or so full of drama that it becomes a very memorable part of the story that they are called, that, that they remember that. And these things are called set pieces. For those who have seen uh, the, tri- the Star Wars, for those who have seen the movie Star Wars, in the Empire Strikes Back, there is a scene towards the end where uh, Luke Skywalker is dueling it out with Darth Vader, and uh, Darth Vader asks Luke, I bet you never know what happened to your father. Luke responds, I know exactly what happened to him. You killed him. And then what proceeds? No, I am your father. Anyone that's seen that, that's a set piece. That's something that has just gravitated, grabbed someone. Uh, there's other movies as well where there's certain set pieces. It could be at the beginning of the movie. Um, anyone that may have seen The Godfather with Marlon Brando, uh, and he has the, the, the beginning of the movie, he's having his, you come to my house on the day of my daughter's wedding. You know, some people remember that kind of thing. Those are called set pieces. They're set within stories to bring the action along and to move the storyline along. Revelation chapter 5 is a set piece in the storyline of Scripture. It is a piece that is so impactful, so full of power, so full of drama, so full of importance that we need to see that as a piece. Well, all of Scripture is important, but it is a certain type of piece that is moving the story of redemption forward, the story of redemption forward. That's why we looked at Genesis. That's why we looked in Romans. And now that's why we're in Revelation 4 and 5, because we're, it's moving the storyline forward of redemption between two main characters. Those main characters are God and man. Think of yourself, all of us, all of humanity, all of creation could be lumped up into one character, man. God and man, God and man, two characters, main characters in this story, a true story of redemption. Author Alexander Stewart writes this about Revelation chapter 5. He says, Revelation 5 contains one of the most significant scenes in the whole book of Revelation. I would contend myself, it's one of the most significant scenes in all of Scripture. First John sees a scroll in God's hand, filled with writing on both sides, but sealed with seven seals. The scroll likely represents God's plan to rescue His people, 
judge evil and bring his creation to its goal. No one, however, is found worthy to open the scroll and carry out God's plans. No human being or spiritual being in all of creation is worthy to open the scroll. This reality leads John to weep because it effectively means that evil will triumph and God's creation will remain deformed, disordered, and chaotic forever. And that is where the tension is with John and why he weeps is because he is uncertain what's going to happen to the church, to humanity, to all of creation. The title of our sermon here today is, Who is Worthy to Open the Scroll? The Firstborn, Victorious Lion, Sacrificial Lamb, and All His Glory. That is who is worthy to open the scroll. Beloved, take comfort For when it appears as if the book is sealed, the road is blocked, and all in the world and in your life seems hopeless and hell-bound, rejoice, for there is one with divine power, divine knowledge, and divine authority that has and he will redeem and reign victorious over our enemies. So finally, we should worship and sing a new song of praise to Him. As we look at Revelation 5, verses 1 through 10, in more detail, I want us to be thinking about one word, Jesus. There is so much Christology And what Christology means is the study of or learning of Christ, Jesus Christ. There is so much Christology, so much to be learned about the character of Jesus in Revelation 5. We could spend hours, days looking at it. But as we look at Revelation 5, I want us to think about three main things. Christ is creator, okay? Christ is creator, And then second, Christ as conqueror, okay? Christ as conqueror. And then thirdly, Christ as king. Christ as king redeemer. So we'll be thinking about Christ as creator, okay? Christ as conqueror, and then Christ as redeemer. See, the beauty with what's happening here in the storyline of Scripture, uh, all of Scripture, but also what we read, Genesis, Romans, and etc., is Jesus is the author, he's the director, He's the producer, and he's the actor in his own story. He does it all. A story of past creation, a story of present conquering, and a story of future full redemption. So thinking about Christ as creator, Revelation 4. Uh, we'll pick up in Revelation 4, 9, and then look at the first part of, uh, of 5. And I want you to be thinking about this as Christ is creator. Have that in your mind. Christ is the creator. Creator of what? Well, I'll explain here. Well, creator of all things, but also creator of something specifically that we'll see at the beginning of Revelation 5. Picking up in 4.9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Here at the beginning of five, we're introduced to the scroll. Whether it's a rolled up scroll or a book, don't know exactly. But what's really interesting is as I was reading this, I had a few questions ruminating around in my mind. You know, what, it, what's written on this scroll for one? What's written on it? Who wrote it? Who can really open it? Who can read it? Why is it sealed in the first place? You know, these were just some of the questions kind of ruminating around in my mind. So we just came off of the end of chapter 4 where we have already time and creation language. 4.8 says, who was and is and is to come. 4.11 says, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And now we have God on his throne holding a scroll, or in some translations, a book. I want us to think about John 1, 1 through 3 where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Christ Jesus is the author and the creator of this scroll. This scroll was authored by Him, created by Him, why? Because he's the creator of all things. He's also the sealer of it. He's the one who has the scrolls sealed. He has it for it to be hidden till he was good and ready to open it himself. He authored this book. Think of it as a book or a scroll. It doesn't really matter. I mean, a scroll like a letter. It's something written. That's the point. It's something written that Christ authored and sealed it up for him to open when he was good and ready for it to be opened. So what's written on this scroll? Well, from the text we have here, we're not really told. However, in the revealing of the contents of the rest of Revelation, we'll come to find out in more detail that it contains God's final curses and judgments on his enemies and a fuller understanding of redemption for his people. Also, perhaps, this book, this scroll, in a sense, 
I want you to think about this in a sense, metaphorically, could be thought of as God's holy Bible, God's holy written word, full revelation to us today, his Bible. For is not the Bible God's communication of his plan of salvation for all of creation? Isn't the whole Bible, the whole candidate of Scripture, the plan of salvation on how creation gets right with a holy God? Theologian author G.K. Beale says this in regards to the scroll or the book. The extensive nature of the book primarily includes God's plan of redemption and judgment formulated throughout the Old Testament a plan that encompasses the development of all sacred history, especially from the cross to the new creation. I'm going to repeat that. This is what Beale says. The extensive nature, this is what he says the scroll is, the book. The extensive nature of the book primarily includes God's plan of redemption and judgment formulated throughout the Old Testament a plan that encompasses the development of all sacred history, especially from the cross to the new creation. Sounds like the Bible to me. <laughs> Old Testament, cross, into the new creation. And who can open it? That's the big question we have here, and that's why John weeps. Is We're coming across creation it appears as if no one can open this book to reveal what is, going, what is going to happen. What's going to happen with creation? What's going to happen with humanity? What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I mean, why would John? Obviously, John cares about what's written on this scroll. Otherwise, why would he weep? He cares about what's in the contents of this scroll. But then he weeps. But who can open it? This is a rhetorical question posed by the angel. This is what is essentially happening. Is Now let's look at verse, um, uh, verse 5. No, not 5 yet. Oh, verse uh, 3. Oh, 2 and 3. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And here's where John weeps. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then here's where the angel says, Then one of the elders, sorry, the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. It's almost as if the angel is prompting a response from John, like, I want you to understand what's happening here, and he's building up to, say, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is the one who is worthy. Imagine a sport, a captain of a sports team trying to get his team pumped up. I don't know if any of you have seen this on TV or experienced it yourself or something, but when, when you're on, like on a sports team, there might be a captain that says, who's going to win today? Who's going to win today? And the response from the team is, we are, we are. 
That's the vision that the angel is having, knowing that it is Jesus Christ who is the victor and is the one who has conquered all things. He wants John to get this message, get this point, he wants us to get this message, get this point too. So here we have in verse 5, the one who has conquered, who has conquered. Second point, Christ is conqueror. Christ is conqueror. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We should rejoice in this. For there is one with divine power, with divine knowledge, and with authority, has the ability and the authority to redeem, to conquer. Rejoice, the scroll will be opened and read. Rejoice, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, has won the victory. Think of 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have here in verses 6 and 7, he says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What's interesting here is this is a paradoxical kind of statement. What do I mean by that? What is meant by that? In the previous verse, it says, who's, open, who's worthy to open the seal? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And then what immediately does John see as soon as he hears this message? He sees a lamb appeared to be slain. So we just went from lion to lamb. We went from a roaring lion to a slain lamb. It almost doesn't make sense. How, could, how, how can this be the vision? How can this be the thing? Stuart says this, John looks and sees a lamb next to the throne, standing as though slain, with seven horns and seven eyes. The lamb has obviously been slaughtered, but is just as obviously alive again. This clash of expectations guides us as readers to reflect the significance of describing a slain but living lamb as a conquering lion. The conquering lion helps us recognize this figure as the Messiah promised throughout the Old Testament and affirms that God's Messiah has won and conquered evil. The slain lamb shows us how he conquered evil. He conquered evil by being conquered himself. I think that's beautiful. That's beautiful language. He conquered evil by being conquered himself. And what he means by that is by being submissive to the point of death 
on a cross. Okay? I mean, don't think of it as like, well, Jesus is a failure and he got conquered. No, he conquered in the sense of submissive. He conquered evil because of his humble submission to the Father and his plans to die on a cross to shed his blood for all of creation. By being faithful to the point of death, even to a death on the cross. We went from a lion to a lamb. The way that Jesus ultimately conquers his enemies is by the giving of his life and the resurrection from the dead. I also want you to please catch this. It's important. Verse 6. And between the throne, okay, and who's on the throne? God the Father. And the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Okay, so get that image in your mind, if you can, it's hard. The throne, Jesus, creation. Who is mediating between God the Father and creation? Jesus, he's right there. He says he's between the throne. He says right here, and between the throne and the four living creatures, okay, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had, been, it had been slain. Right in the middle, right in the middle, mediating the way to God is Christ. And now let's think about the seven, the seven horns, the seven eyes, the seven spirits. Seven horns, God's great power. So this lamb has seven horns, God's power, perfect Seven is a perfect number. Seven eyes, all seeing, God's knowledge. Seven spirits of God going out throughout all the earth. Think of God's authority. Think of God's omnipresence everywhere. God's authority. So this lamb slain has all power, all knowledge, and all authority. This is God's Christ. It is the blood of the lamb that conquers sin. It is the resurrection of this lamb to a lion that conquers death. And it is Christ's true word that beats Satan. All of these cry out redemption for humanity to those who believe. Unlike the blood of Abel that cries out cursed, evil, hate, cursed be creation and its humanity, the shed, sacrificial, loving, divine blood of Christ cries out love, joy, peace, redemption to the creation, especially the children of Adam, now the children of God. Christ is the leader of all creation. So we should take up this idea of confidence when we are in Christ. We are confident. We are clean. We are now His. He is confident. Look at verse 7, 5, 7. Look at the confidence the slain lamb has. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who does that? Who goes to the master and says, he doesn't do it like, you know, I'm going to take the scroll. He walks up there with confidence to take the scroll. Why? Because he has all authority. He has the ability and the authority to take the scroll, open those seals, read, the, read what's on that document to, make, to reveal, which we'll see later, 
of what's going to happen to humanity, to God's enemies, to sin, to death, to Satan, to everything that is our enemy as well. God's enemies are our enemies. Our enemies are God's enemies. And this leads us to then Christ as Redeemer King. Let's look at our, the rest of our text and we'll close up. Verses 8 and 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed. Some translations have the word redeemed. You ransomed or redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Thank the Abraham covenant now being fulfilled. And you have made them, you have made them, they weren't already, he made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. All of God's promises, covenant promises throughout time and history, now coming to a full mation to a point here, uh, and they shall reign on the earth. All of God's promises coming true. All of God's promises coming true. And what's our response after being redeemed, recognizing Christ as the King Redeemer, the one who redeems? Well, our response should be like their response was right here, worship. Worship. For what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. They lifted up prayers of the saints. They sang song. They sang a song in worship. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why are you worthy? For you were slain and you redeemed people. You redeemed us. You redeemed all kinds of people. You have made us a kingdom. We didn't do it ourselves. You made us a kingdom and priests for our God. And we shall reign. Our enemies are thwarted. They will be thwarted. I want to share with you five ideas, and I pulled these from a gentleman named Scott Duvall. Five ideas. It's out of his book, The Heart of Revelation. I'm going to share with you five ideas on worship. Why we should worship as redeemed people. So we recognize we're redeemed people. Yes, okay, we're redeemed people. We want to worship. Why should we worship? Here's five ideas. Worship begins and ends in heaven. Worship begins and ends in heaven. I mean, they're in heaven right here. It begins and ends right there with heaven. It begins and ends in heaven. As redeemed people, we will be there, so why wait to worship? Start now. Worship God for who... Oh, second point. Worship God for who He is, not what we think He is. Third idea. Worship God for what He has done for you, for me, for all of us. Fourth idea, worship God for judging and destroying our enemies. Our enemies are His enemies. His enemies are our enemies. And then fifthly, worship the Lord with reverence. Importantly, worship the Lord in love.
worship, our response to a loving, great God, Jesus Christ, should be worship. And how should we think of Jesus? What should we think of Jesus? Jesus is creator. He is the one who has conquered sin, death, the evil one. If there's anyone underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know where they're going to end up after this life, I encourage you to think of Jesus. I encourage you to talk with one of the elders or myself what that looks like. If there's anyone underneath the sound of my voice that knows that in and of themselves they have sin, that they have transgressed something that the creator of all of the universe has said don't do, but yet you've done it, and you're like, how do I get clean? The answer is Jesus. There's anyone that's just been gripped by the world or Satan's lies? Look towards Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And it's not, it's not because I'm saying it's because it says it here in this book. You know, I've mentioned it before. The Father says, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. You want to get right with me? You got to get right with this guy. You got to get right with my son. As we close out Revelation chapter 5 here, and we think of Jesus as creator, Jesus as conqueror, and Jesus as the king redeemer, I want to share this with you from, from Stuart, from Alexander Stuart, and then a few other things. Stuart says, The throne room vision of Revelation 4 and 5 provides the theological foundation and center for all the visions to come. No matter what terrifying things lie ahead, we can move forward convinced and assured that God is on His throne. He is ruling and reigning over His creation. In addition, we have confidence that Jesus' death and resurrection gained a cosmic victory over evil. And Jesus, now ruling and reigning at God's right hand in heaven, is able to put God's plan into action. Jesus, now ruling and reigning at God's right hand in heaven, is able to put God's plan into action. All of world history, including your life, even with all its hardships, discouragements, woes, and disasters, is firmly in the control of Jesus Christ, the victorious Lamb. Jesus says, I've got this, and I have got you. Rejoice, friends, even when it seems like God's program, that is, His plan, is not working or is not being revealed, and there is no hope, no end in sight, that is when we need to take comfort that God is in control and Jesus has conquered sin and death and the evil one through His atoning blood, and God will reveal these things more clearly to us in due time. When that happens, worship Him and sing a new song to Him. I'll leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon in regards to our text. 
The appearance of this lamb at the particular moment described by John was exceedingly suitable. Our Lord usually appears when all other hope disappears. In the instance before us, the strong angel had proclaimed with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? There was no response from heaven or earth or hell. No man was able to open the book nor to look therein. The divine decrees must remain forever sealed in mystery unless the once slain mediator shall take them from the hand of God and open them to the sons of men. When no one could do this, John wept. At that grave moment, the lamb appeared. Old Master Trap says, Christ is good at a deadlift, and it is so. When there is utter failure everywhere else, then in him is our help found. If there could have been another way to defeat sin, wouldn't the Father have given would the Father have given his only begotten Son to die? Had any other been able to unfold the secret designs of God, would he have not appeared the angel's challenge? But he that came to take away the sin of the world now appears to take away the seals, which bind up the eternal purposes. O Lamb of God, you are able to do what none beside may venture to attempt. Thou comest forth when no one else is to be found. Remember, next time you are in trouble, when no man can comfort and no man can save, you may expect the Lord the ever-sympathetic Lamb of God, to appear on your behalf. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll show our worship to Him through the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, You have revealed to us that Your Son is Creator, is Conqueror, of sin, of death, of everything that the evil one wants to throw our way and lie to us about. You have revealed to us that you are the true Redeemer King. May our response be worship to you, full-hearted worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us now practice worship to our King. This is the uh, Lord's Supper. For those who have not obtained, if you haven't obtained an element packet, please feel free to go to the back of the room and pick one up. So if you're a born-again, baptized believer in Jesus Christ, we encourage you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. This is a form of worship. This is what helps us remind us of Jesus' humanity. And He's divine, but He became a part of created humanity. And he is the one worthy to open these seals and to reveal all things. 
you would, unfold the top layer exposing the cracker. And as we worship, as we worship Jesus, I mean, Jesus is who we worship because He is God. But when we think about this, you know, this is a solid substance. This is a cracker, right? Just think about His humanity. You know, He became part of creation. He became a part of it. He wasn't created, but He became a part of it. He was the firstborn of all creation. He entered into it. So let's now take the cracker, thinking of Jesus' humanity. Go ahead and peel off the foil, exposing the juice. So Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 teaches us, For by grace are ye saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we take this juice and we think about God's divinity, Jesus' divinity, in divine blood, holy blood, special blood, it's only by His grace that anyone is able to enter into the throne room of God. So let's thank Him for His grace. Let's take the juice together. <clears throat> 